Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Father, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. We're studying the doctrines of peace as a church. We're looking at biblical wisdom for our personal conflicts. We're looking at a Christian perspective on how to navigate a very divisive climate in the society we're living in right now. I think that one of the greatest burdens people carry, and I'm saying this as a human being, I'm saying this as a Christian pastor, I'm saying it as somebody who years ago did a lot of conflict coaching and, and mediation, especially between Christians. I think one of the greatest burdens that people carry around with them is knowing that they are unforgiven by someone else. And I think an equally great burden that people carry around, although they may not think about it this way, but I think it's an equal burden, is an unwillingness to forgive other people or someone specifically. Now, I know that this is a sensitive topic. I mean, all of reconciliation is a sensitive topic, but I know especially that forgiveness is very sensitive and it's a very hard thing to do, especially when what has happened really hurts you. Our college courses did not cover forgiveness. And you know, something happened to me this week. I was in a conversation and somebody's name came up and immediately I knew that I had not forgiven this person for something in the past. Immediately, because what happened to me is I tensed up, my words were, were, my words were ungracious. I knew immediately that although I had forgiven the person outwardly, that inwardly in my heart I had not forgiven the individual because I tensed up immediately and it burned. 
It burned inside of me is the best way for me to say it. I got that burning feeling in my gut. And I realized, wow, wow, I haven't forgiven this person. So I want you to understand, you're hearing a message about forgiveness from somebody, a brother who is still learning how to forgive people, okay? This is a beggar-to-beggar type of a situation. And I want you to also see as an illustration, God is always working in me before I have to bring a message to you, all right? I'm the first person the Holy Spirit preaches to before this happens on a Sunday morning. It's interesting how we all develop different forgiveness habits. So, like some people, I've learned, uh, they, they will only forgive another person, an offender, when they have paid everything back, fixed everything up, completely changed, or have been utterly humiliated in the process. Uh, or other people uh, will, will refuse to answer an apology by saying things like, oh, don't mention it. It was nothing. Forget about it. And you see what happens in things like that. Um, if, if you demand perfection out of somebody, uh, then you're really asking people to earn their forgiveness, to, to work and prove that they're worthy of being forgiven. On the other hand, if, if you're the type of person that doesn't like being confronted with phrases like, I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Right? It, it, what, what you really do when you say something like, oh, don't mention it, forget it. There's nothing to talk about here. What you're really doing is communicating to that person that they have to remain in uncertainty of whether or not you're okay, of whether or not you're okay with them, or whether they're actually okay. See all these habits we've developed regarding forgiveness? Do you demand perfection from somebody before you forgive them? Or do you avoid whatever the matter is so that you really don't have to forgive at all? What are your forgiveness habits? C.S. Lewis wrote, that to be a Christian means to forgive. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. And so really from a Christian perspective, I want to talk about the horizontal dynamics of forgiveness. The horizontal dynamics of forgiveness, meaning between you and me, really rely on the vertical dynamics of forgiveness between you and God, between me and God. Our ability to forgive one another as Christians depends upon our hearts before our Creator. The vertical makes it possible for the horizontal aspects of forgiveness to happen. Our ability to forgive one another depends upon our hearts before a God who is forgiving. Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross covered not only your sins, but the sins of those who hurt you. The cross covers your sins and the sins committed against you. And we're going to look at Jesus' famous parable of the unforgiving servant, as you heard just now read to you, that parable is going to be our guide as we talk about forgiveness, which is one of the last points we're going to cover in this series on the doctrines of peace. So, Jesus' parable was a famous parable. We forget, but it was actually in the context of Matthew chapter 18. This parable was his response 
to a question that Peter had asked him about forgiveness. Now remember, we covered verses 15 through 18 of the very same chapter last week when we talked about restoring one another gently. And in verses 15 through 18, if you go back, Jesus was addressing the matter of discipline and restoration of someone who is caught in sin or someone who has hurt or offended you. How do you hold that person accountable and restore them to fellowship, restore them to peace? That's the context. Matthew tells us right after that, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will I forgive my brother when he sins against me? And he says, as many as seven times? And I, I, one scholar jokingly says his brother Andrew was probably right there listening to the whole, <laughs> poor Andrew listening to the whole thing. But, but honestly, expand it beyond your own, your own biological siblings. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? So traditionally, the Jewish rabbis had taught them, look, forgive someone three times for doing the same thing to you, and then you're off the hook. You're not bound or obligated to forgive somebody if they keep doing the same thing. So beyond three times, forget about it. You can ignore them. You've done what you've been called to do. So Peter assumes, hey, seven times would be very generous and patient. Thank you. Now, what, what is the heart of Peter's question? Do you see what he's getting at? Because I think he's speaking for all of us. What Peter is saying is, Lord, when am I finally off the hook? When can I finally stop forgiving somebody? This is a really serious thing. Jesus says to him, according to Matthew, verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. There's no coincidence that this is almost the exact language as Genesis, Genesis chapter 4 Verses 24, where Lamech was wronged by someone, and this is what Lamech said. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. Lamech was a bad guy who in his arrogance would not forgive people, but just was, was the essence of retribution and vengeance in his life. And so then Jesus turns Lamech's statement on its head. Jesus transforms this idea of unlimited retribution to God's unlimited mercy. And that's really what you're doing when you forgive somebody. You're showing them mercy. You're relenting from what they actually deserve from you, which is retribution. Forgiveness is mercy. A buddy of mine from college likes to say, Jesus never said, forgive and forget. Jesus said, forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive, and forgive, and you get the point. My friends at Live at Peace Ministries in St. Louis define forgiveness this way. Forgiveness acknowledges that a wrong was done, but chooses not to seek revenge or condemn the offender. You see how balanced that is? You're saying, yes, I see what you've done. I comprehend the hurt that I have suffered from you. You're acknowledging that. You're, you're not ignoring it. You're not acting like it never happened. You're dealing with it. 
And that person who has offended you desperately needs you to acknowledge that you've hurt them. Because if they are trying to heal, if they are trying to repent, we've talked about repentance, if they are trying to repent, you give them the opportunity to further repent by acknowledging you see what they're doing. You recognize what they recognize, that this is wrong and it needs to stop. So in a sense, forgiveness, Dan Allender likes to say, is forgiveness is you're opening a door to allow another person to begin to change. If you can show them that you are willing to forgive, that may give them the hope and the confidence that allows them to walk through that door. And then what you're really saying is, not only do I see what you've done to me, but I'm not going to condemn you for it. Now, it's not that we don't hold one another accountable. That's what last week was all about. Read the first part of Matthew chapter 18. But in addition to holding one another accountable, we don't condemn one another. As Tim Keller says, we don't sit in God's judgment seat and pronounce judgment on one another. We do what Joseph did to his brothers who deeply hurt him and destroyed his life. He said, am I in the place of God? The answer is no. So forgiveness acknowledges that someone has hurt you, but you don't seek revenge. You don't condemn that person. Now, you might be thinking at this point, Brian, you have no idea what I've been through and what I've suffered. And you're right, I don't. But I'm convinced that God does. So let's listen to what Jesus has to say. His parable was a picture of God's unfathomable forgiveness. Jesus in this parable makes a contrast between two types of debt, right? You've got two men, they're co-workers, and they both have a debt, and neither of them can pay the debt that they have. So you've got the first servant's debt. He owes the king his master. You know, I picture the mafia. That helps me make this real. You know, imagine you've got a crime family and you've got the boss at the top right? And then you've got his little henchmen and his bookies and his, you know, his, his Cadillac drivers and everybody that works for him in town. And he's at the top. And now he decides, hey, I've been lending money out to my employees for years. And it, you know, it's time to get the money back. And see, he's trying, trying to settle up with people. That's how I picture it. Maybe you have a better, uh, more clean version of this. So the first servant's debt is what he owes to his master, the king. And we're told here, Jesus says it's 10,000 talents. So right now we're dealing with the vertical dynamics of forgiveness, okay? This is a superior. 10,000 talents was like the most money you can imagine back then. The talent was the highest unit of currency. One scholar says, think of a billion pounds of silver and gold. That's what this guy owes his master. Another scholar says it's equal to 1,000 times the annual revenue of Galilee, Judea, Samaria, and Edomea, Roman provinces, right? So like this is, this is unimaginable debt. Imagine that you owe somebody the equivalent of the annual revenue of four Maryland counties combined. Jesus's point is The amount of the debt was unfathomable. He could never pay it back in his entire lifetime. In many, many lifetimes, he could never pay this debt back. It was impossible. And then you have the second servant. 
you have his debt. The second servant actually owes money to the first servant. So, so now you have the horizontal dynamics of forgiveness between co-workers, between equals. Now he owes his co-worker 100 denarii. So a denarius was a, like a silver coin, a Roman coin. It was the equivalent of one day's wage. You work for a day in that world, you, you get a denarius. That's essentially what he owes his friend. And I did the math. Now, that's a very dangerous thing, so you may want to go back and, and check my math later today. Let me know if I was off. But according to Maryland's average annual salary, if you look at it that way, this guy owed his buddy $240. Day's wage, $30 an hour, 240 bucks. Multiply that by 100, okay? This guy owed his coworker 24, the equivalent of $24,000. What's interesting is, I know you think that's a lot of money, but $24,000 is less money than the average used car cost in 2022, according to Kelly Blue Book. Okay, so this guy owes his coworker Roughly the equivalent of a decent used car, according to today's standards. A used car, which means what? He couldn't pay it at the moment, but with consistency and responsibility over time, he could have paid the guy back. It's like when you borrow money from a relative for your college loans or to buy a used car. Eventually, you can pay them back. It'll take some time, but it's reasonable. Check this out. The first servant, according to another scholar, the first servant owed his master 600,000 times more than his co-worker owed him. But the master, with unfathomable mercy, forgave that massive amount of debt. And that's you. If you're a Christian, God has forgiven an amount of debt, morally speaking, that you could never pay him back for, the, for your entire life, for all of eternity. Once you break God's law, you're a lawbreaker. And God took that massive debt and he forgave it of you unconditionally. So you should rejoice. If you're a Christian, my encouragement to you is to rejoice in God's forgiveness for you. And now cultivate a forgiving heart towards one another. With reconciliation, we really have to stop thinking like Americans think, meaning when it comes to peacemaking, we cannot think like consumers and we cannot think like performers. This is what Americans do well, consume and perform. Forgiveness is not a transaction. Will you forgive me? Here's what I owe you. Thank you, I'm satisfied, I forgive you. Forgiveness is not a transaction. And forgiveness is not an act. If I can just tap dance and play the piano well enough, eventually you'll be impressed with me and excited. And I'll feel like I've earned your trust and respect. Forgiveness is not an act, it's not a performance. Forgiveness in so many ways is progressive. We do teach our children rightly. Give him his toy back. Tell him you're sorry. Now forgive him. I, I get that. We have to do that. We have to start with the basics with very young people. I get that. But you know now. You know how complicated issues are in life. Forgiveness is progressive. 
In many cases, it takes patience. It takes humility, and forgiveness always requires faith for the Christian. Again, Dan Allender said, he wrote that to forgive another person is always an ongoing, deepening, quickening process rather than a once and for all event. And what I felt in my gut just a week ago about another person was perfect proof of that for me. Now, I'm not coming down hard on you. Listen, again, safe place to hear a dangerous message. I'm not coming down on you hard if you are struggling to forgive somebody. Good. I'm glad you're struggling. Honestly, like that is great that you are struggling to forgive someone. That is way better in my mind than you are neglecting it or ignoring it or not wanting to deal with it at all. It is a good, it is a sign that the Holy Spirit is working in you if you are struggling to forgive someone and disappointed that you have realized you haven't. Friend, persevere in that. Persevere in forgiveness because it is a process. And I believe forgiveness for the Christian is a lifestyle. We never stop forgiving. And if, and if we've finally forgiven one person, <laughs> we turn around and realize we've got to forgive someone else. Forgiveness is, for the Christian, a lifestyle. Just as your offender's repentance will be a process, as we talked about two weeks ago, just as repentance for the offender is a process, forgiveness for the offender, for the offended, is a process. Sometimes, for me, repentance means learning how to forgive someone. Because somebody may do something to me that I, I can forgive in an instant. I'm okay. But because of my personality and my background and that individual and how we mix, maybe they do something else and I just can't forgive that person. And so now for me, repentance is learning how to forgive an individual. So sometimes when there is a conflict, both sides are trying to repent. Even if only one side is the offender, sometimes both sides are learning how to repent as they reconcile. So cultivate a joy in remembering that, God's, that your debt to God, your insurmountable debt, has been canceled forever. Cultivate a joy knowing that there's nothing you can do or say that will change, God, change God's mind about you. And from there, from that foundation, cultivate forgiveness in your life. You're forgiven, the New Testament says, therefore forgive. Because Jesus' parable was not only a picture of God's unfathomable forgiveness, it was also a picture of God's inescapable justice for people who don't want to forgive. This is why in great wrath, right, so he first shows great mercy, and then, and then the, the master, Jesus says, shows great wrath in punishing the first servant when word got out of what he had done to his coworker. And Jesus' point to Peter there is this. Nobody can afford to be unforgiving. In God's economy, cosmically speaking, morally speaking, you cannot afford to harbor an unforgiving heart, no matter what the offense might be. 
Verse 32, Jesus says, this is what the master said to the guy, you wicked servant, because that's what it is. Jesus in no uncertain terms here is saying in the parable, it is wicked to withhold forgiveness from another person. Because when we refuse to forgive, especially when a Christian refuses to forgive, you are revealing, I am revealing a certain unbelief in the gospel. To be unforgiving is to reveal in myself that in some way, I do not believe that the good news of Christianity is true. For example, if Christ died for your sins, did he not also die for your sister's sins and for your brother's sins? Was that not enough for you? If the person who has hurt you is not a Christian, and so in your mind they remain under God's wrath, is, God, is Jesus' coming judgment for that sin and that person not enough for you? Unforgiveness is not a justice issue. It's popular in our society today to think that unforgiveness is intelligent, that unforgiveness is educated, that unforgiveness is advanced and enlightened and even just. Well, I will tell you it is not. According to Jesus, unforgiveness is not a justice issue. It is a heart issue. Unforgiveness is something that happens right here in my heart. And so Jesus concludes the entire parable by saying, so, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if he means what he did to the first servant in vengeance in just vengeance for the first servant's unforgiving heart. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There it is. It's not a transaction. It's not a transaction. Forgiveness is a relational, psychological, spiritual dynamic that begins in a person's soul. So Corey Ten Boom, some of you know her story. Corey Ten Boom and her family hid Jews in their home in Holland before and during the Second World War. And uh, the Nazis found out and threw the family into prison and her father died in a concentration camp and her sister died in that camp and she made it out alive. And after the war, this amazing woman who was a Christian, after the war was over, developed a reputation for traveling around Holland saying to the Europeans, as Christians, we must forgive the Nazis. She became known for this. Her message became, we must forgive the Nazis. Until she was speaking in a church one day, and after she was done preaching, talking about forgiveness, a man walked up to her and reached out his hand to thank her and to basically say, like, wow, like, it's great that we're forgiven, isn't it? And she recognized him immediately. It was an SS officer in the concentration camp. And everything, PTSD, it all came back to her in that moment, she said. And she saw this man with his arms extended to shake her hand, a smile. The man had obviously changed. He had obviously been converted. And she wrote, she wrote that she could not shake his hand, that in that millisecond, in that moment, she became paralyzed in fear and anger and trauma. And she wrote, even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin 
of them. Did you hear that? This is an offended person confessing their unforgiveness. She said, Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? When we refuse to forgive, we are denying the truth and grace of the gospel. It's a subtle blasphemy. What the two servants had in common, Jesus shows us. Despite the, 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 the there is an irreconcilable gap between the one's debt and the other's, right? Because the second servant is like, look, give me some time and I'll pay you back. We all know that's true. Some of us are paying for used cars right now. But the other servant would never be able to pay his debt back. So you've got two servants, totally different types of debt. What they had in common was in that very moment, neither of them could pay. And that's how we have to look at ourselves. It doesn't matter that my sin is different than yours. It doesn't matter if your sin could put you into prison, but my sin may just put me in the doghouse at home. It doesn't matter what types of sin they are and how bloody they are or how outrageous they are. In God's eyes, none of us can pay the debt. God's justice levels the playing field. It doesn't matter what the sin, it doesn't matter what the offense, it doesn't matter how much you and I are hurt. Neither servant could repay his debt. And see, that's the problem with unforgiveness is you are focused on that person's debt. And you have forgotten the debt that you once owed your creator. Back to the language from earlier in the series on the logs and the specks in our eyes, you are so focused like that first servant. You are so focused on the other person's speck, right? Pay me what you owe me, right? Choking him in the neck. So focused on that other person's speck that you are blinded. You are blinded by a log of your own bitterness. You can't even see. You have forgotten that God forgave all of your sins. And all you see is the sin of that other person. And you remain in unforgiveness. You can't see that massive debt that you used to owe God. And now you cannot, this is the sad part, you cannot appreciate the massive amount of forgiveness and mercy that God has shown you. And like that first servant, you are in great danger, my friend, to harbor an unforgiving heart. But the good news is just this. The good news that Jesus, the Son of God, died on a Roman cross, the good news is that the cross is the starting point of real forgiveness. It's the cross. True forgiveness, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, another person that the Nazis imprisoned, but they actually executed him. But not before he had written these words, true forgiveness is always a form of suffering. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Peter, decades later, would write a letter, and I'm sure he never forgot what Jesus told him about forgiveness. And Peter would say, for Christ also suffered. You see that? I said to you, I don't know what you've, I don't know you're hurt, but God does. If you have been hurt and you are struggling to forgive, Jesus sympathizes with you. And he also suffered. 
He suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. There's that vertical and horizontal dynamic again. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. Jesus died so that God could fully forgive your sin forever. You see, the the justice of Jesus' parable and the mercy of that parable come together when he died on that cross. The reason God offers you unfathomable forgiveness is Jesus Christ suffered God's inescapable justice in your place. And you know what? When we finally embrace that, and I realize I have to keep embracing that. I don't just go, yeah, I learned that 30 years ago. I have to keep hearing the gospel. I have to be reminded all that I've been forgiven. Not in shame and self-hate, but in joy and in freedom. When this reality that Christ died once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, once that sinks in and gets to you, when you finally embrace that, and you go, well, I've already embraced that. All right, well, embrace it again with the person you can't forgive. When you finally can embrace that in your heart, as Jesus says, you will be compelled to forgive another person. You will be liberated from the log in your eye to be able to forgive another person because you will identify as one whom God has forgiven. We find identity in all sorts of things these days. Our sexual preference, our sports team, Legos, the Ravens, whatever. People identify in almost anything. The Christian identifies as someone who has been forgiven by God. And with that identity, we are compelled to forgive one another. Yes, trust has to be restored. Yes, repentance is a process. But we are called to forgive. And of course, forgiveness is costly. Because when you forgive, what happens to that pain? What happens to the debt? You've got to absorb it. For me to forgive you, I can't make you pay for it. I have to pay for it. So yes, forgiveness is costly, but through Jesus, it is possible. Absolute promise. Back to Corey Ten Boom. So she's standing there paralyzed before this man, knowing that she can't forgive him. She's a hypocrite. She's preaching about forgiveness. She can't forgive where it really hurts. It's easy to tell everybody, forgive, but when forgiveness stares her in the face, in the face, in the worst way she knows instantly she can't do it. She writes in her, she writes in her, in her memoir, Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. And she said, I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity And so again, I breathe the silent prayer, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered 
that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on His. When He tells us to love our enemies, He gives, along with the command, the love itself. Forgiveness solely depends upon our hearts before God. Forgiveness began at the cross, and it continues in our hearts as we walk with Jesus and we reconcile with one another. Christ's sacrifice covered not only your sins, but the sins of those who have hurt you. A merciful, forgiving God requires his sons and daughters to forgive one another. And really, friends, that may be our biggest witness in this polarized society. People who otherwise wouldn't want to relate to one another learning how to forgive. So rejoice in God's amazing forgiveness and let's cultivate forgiving hearts towards each other. And if you need help with forgiveness, it's okay to ask God for help. And it's okay to ask us for help. And if you believe, if you're here today and you do not believe that God has forgiven you, come and talk to me. Talk to one of us. If you are interested in embracing the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers, let's pray. Father, we confess that while we want to be the master of the parable, we are often the first servant. Forgive us. Forgive us for being unforgiving. Father, I pray for my friends here. You have called them to forgive maybe even people that they are intimidated by or afraid of or can't stand the sight of. And I pray in those complex situations that you would give them the wisdom they need, the counsel they need, and the encouragement they need to forgive from their heart. I pray it would start with a, a recognition that you have forgiven our sins, that you have washed us, that you have remembered our sins no more because of the death and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. In his name, amen.